This is the Get Out of Here Baldy Podcast, episode 54, August 22nd, 2023. We apologize for last week. We had some audio issues, and so you'll just have to use your imagination on what the Baldies talked about in episode 53. For the first minute of this podcast, we were working out a few of the kinks, but you will find hopefully that the sound improved after around the one minute mark. And we'll continue to find ways to improve as the Baldies are now doing our podcast remotely uh, from Branson all the way to St. Joe. This week's Baldy of the Week is Jamie Heineman, who is a part of Myth Busters show, National Day Celebration. And this day in history is National Burger Day, which is coming up on August 24th. And so, Baldy Buddies, go ahead and get yourself or make yourself a hamburger on the 24th and let us know what is your favorite place to get a hamburger and perhaps what are your favorite toppings on a hamburger. We talk about Ben's message at Wyatt Park on Sunday as we're going through our training camp series. We talked about intentional faith development and at harvest evangelical free church you're going through the book of acts and so we talk a little bit about some of the main points from acts chapter 14 thanks for joining us again friends we're so thankful for you and now let's go get this bread they're ben and aaron and they love sharing about their love for Jesus and food covered in cheeses. Weird news, history, sports regale from a generation raised playing Oregon Trail. National celebrations almost every day. There's only one thing I have to say. Don't you point or stare at their lack of hair. Yes, they're follically challenged, so sing along with the biblical Baldy Ballad. Get out of here, Baldy. Get out of here, Baldy. If you don't know what I mean, read 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23. Get out of here, Baldy. Get out of here, Baldy. If you don't know what I mean, if you don't know what I mean, come and take a listen to your two Bald King. What's up, Baldy Buddies, and welcome to another episode of the Get Out of Here Baldy Contest. Uh, episode 54, although it might appear <laughs> like episode 53. Yeah, we'll just, some audio issues. we'll just go ahead and list it as 54 and let people wonder about what 53 contained. The long lost episode. <laughs> Which is impressive after a year of, of of having that being the first one. So Yeah, we're still figuring out technology again. There you go. You think that this would be easier than they You would think so. It's like the ghost of the machine. That's right. <laughs> anyway. Well we've got a ball week. I stumbled upon this one last week. We're gonna go Jamie Heineman. So if you're unfamiliar with James Franklin Heineman He's an American special effects expert who is best known as the former co-host of the television series Mythbusters alongside Adam Savage. 
where he is known for his distinctive beret, which we'll talk about later, and his walrus mustache. He's actually the owner of M5 Industries, the special effects workshop where Mythbusters was filmed. Uh, but he's also known among Robot Wars devotees for his robot entry, Blendo. I think this was season one or two. It got kicked out because it was too dangerous. Um, I've watched some of the video footage. It's pretty fun. Uh, but he's the inventor of Sentry, which is the unmanned firefighting robot vehicle. And he's one of the designers of the area cable robotic system WaveCam. So if you like those shots over the field and all that, he's one of the guys that invented that. So, Ben, robotics can be kind of a controversial topic. Uh, but what do you think is amazing about that field and what concerns do you have about it? I think the amazing uh, thing about robotics is just the capability that uh, that they have that we've always – like. Growing up, you watched the Jetsons, I assume. I do. <laughs> so, you, you, we had this picture and this idea of the things that robots could be capable of doing, and what we're finding out is that it's true. <laughs> like, mm. and they can even they can do even more than what we even imagined, and that's maybe what's amazing and scary at the same time, mm. to me at least. I'm still waiting for a Rosie. <laughs> Right, exactly. Uh, but I, you know, I remember back in two thousand, before I graduated high school, when I was uh, oh no, it was right after I graduated high school, uh, living at my dad and stepmom's, and my stepmom had like the first generation uh, robot vacuum cleaners, the Roomba. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean that that was it was such a novelty. And that was my first time experiencing anything like that. And to this day, like they have the latest technology in, in Roombas at, the, at at their house. But it, mm -hmm. it just it's just fascinating how our 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 imagination of what future technology could do at the time, and, and like even right now, like we think about what what future technology and robots could do, and we'll probably get ten or fifteen years in the future and realize. Crap. <laughs> this was <laughs> maybe we shouldn't have done this. Danger, Will Robinson. I love it. It's funny that you mentioned the Roomba because I remember when I was traveling and moving from uh, Seabring, Florida, up to Spokane, we stopped to see my family in Kansas. And I was sitting on my aunt's couch on my iPad, one of the like first. <laughs> Uh, iPads they release, watching the Roomba go around the living room, and I've had that thought that I'm like living in a sci-fi novel. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, what like have you watched some of those like robot videos of what they're inventing, like they're cutting edge? And are there any ones that just like freak you out? I saw one the other day of like this robot that looked like a tiny human with arms mm. and legs. And that's probably the most mind blowing thing because when we think of robots nowadays, we think of the things inside our technologies or vacuum cleaners. It's just, it's basically the brain, the mind inside a lot of the things that, but when you put that in something that can move and walk and talk on its own, 
that like that takes it to a whole nother level of mind blowing and kind of scary too. That whole idea that the robots one day are gonna there's gonna be a robot uprising. And yeah. like who's to say that there won't be a robot uprising in the future? I don't know. So. Well the ones that freak me out are the like drones that do swarms. Yeah. And now they do like lake shows yes. and all that stuff with them. But I'm like, that's not gonna be the ultimate application of these things. I love those. Those those are fantastic, man. I love so, that. I remember just watching one where it's like they could like do into lines and go through different things. I'm like, when they make these the size of helicopters and put missiles on them, we're in trouble. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Oh my gosh, that's that's great, man. But so robotics. So thanks, Jamie, for the work you're doing on there. But now I gotta I gotta go after them a little bit. Do it. So. Rumor has it, and my Google search on Google Images would suggest this is true, uh, but the rumor is that Jamie has never been photographed without his beret. And so I'm, I'm wondering, what do you do with a figure like this who is a, a beautiful baldy, but he hides it? I'm, I'm going to just say we'll have a little bit of grace he is iconic for wearing that beret. So maybe, maybe that's the, the point that we can have some grace on. But I, I do want to say to any baldies out there who maybe like Jamie, that maybe you think that you have to hide your, your baldness, your bald. And, and no matter what stage of balding you're in, let me just invite you to embrace it and just, just you know lean into it and you will not at least as far as i'm concerned you will not be disappointed if you lean into your baldness and celebrate it let people see it and if you have to like me i mean like i i could still grow out in fact i i didn't shave this weekend you know like if i wanted to grow out some hair i could it but it wouldn't be the most fantastic thing so the most fantastic thing is just to just to let your head shine you know because that's what jesus told us to do let your light shine so that's what <laughs> that's what i'll say I'm waiting for you to grow that hair out and then just do the stash. Just the stash. Well, like we'll, we'll see. Well, maybe maybe uh, instead of doing a beard in November, I may just do the stash. Do the do the mustache November, the Movember. The Movember. Yep. I'll send you some polos from like the 1980s and it'll be great. Nice. <laughs> I don't know. Beck and I's relationship may change if I do that. We'll see what happens. That's I can't. I want to grow the mustache, but Sarah won't. So, <laughs> our, like, our wives are wise. I got it. Well, Jamie, we appreciate you. Again, we look forward to seeing that bald dome without the break. National celebration today is National Burger Day, and it's actually Thursday, uh, August twenty fourth. Mm, the National will, Burger be Day is held annually in August on the Thursday before the bank holiday weekend. Just so you know. This year it takes place on August 24th. Now, burgers, they're a convenient fast food and delicious to eat. Uh, they can be made in a variety of ways, served with all sorts of different toppings to suit the taste of anyone who's eating it. And that is why it is one of the most liked and appreciated foods enjoyed by so many. And to celebrate this day, uh, Mr. Hyde, a daily email service uh, targeted uh, at men, created this day for featured lifestyle content. And so, I mean, I don't know that I love the mass uh, email service, but I do love the day. So 
Ben, National Burger Day. What's your? I, I want to give a little history, but what's your first take yeah. on the day? It is probably right up there with like National Pie Day mm. as being the most American national celebration, apart from like your Thanksgiving celebration. So mm. it's just so when you think barbecue and you think grilling out, uh, hamburgers are right up there. I mean, it's yeah. it's just and it's one of the most versatile food. People are so creative with hamburgers nowadays because mm-hmm. you can you can go sweet and savory with it and it works. Yeah, if you're willing to give it a try. And there's like I mean, you can go thick, you can go thin, multiple patties. I mean, yeah, it is. There's a lot of variety within the genre. So here's a little history. First century AD, uh, what could could be called a burger makes its first appearance. Uh, so the closest thing resembling a burger is first made in first century AD in Rome. It's kind of a ground meat dish prepared with pine nuts, peppers, and flavorings of wine and garum. And so it's really not until like 1800 years later that we get uh, beef served between bread and it's at the Erie County Fair in Hamburg, New York. And this is where it gets its name. The Mensch's brother used beef in their sandwiches, creating a burger. And so uh, again, that's kind of where it, got its, it gets its start. And then it's in 1948 where we get kind of the fast food joint. McDonald's is created. They open a restaurant in California, start making hamburgers. Um, eventually, uh, Burger King in 1954 was established in Florida and becomes kind of the biggest challenger to McDonald's. And since then, there's a lot of different places. And so do you have like a favorite burger joint? Yeah, I will say without a doubt right now, it is Red Robin. And, you know, it's a chain. It's a national chain. Um, I do like a good local burger. And so, you know, throwing out like Jake's Steakhouse downtown is is a great place. Um, uh, I would imagine Pop's Place and the South mm-hmm. Side has a pretty decent hamburger. And there's a lot of, a lot of others. But if, I can if, confirm that they oh, do. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> so, but yeah, I'd say, I mean, available to, to a lot of people. I think Red Robin just does it right. Mm-hmm. I, I will say this, though. On Sunday, Beck and I went out to 54th Street Grill, and they make... A good burger. They they have like a mixed patty with you know I don't know if there's like uh, s- some more uh, expensive meats and it's not just mm-hmm. the hamburger part. So, um, but certainly Red Robin. What about you? Let's see. I mean, the one locally in Spokane that I really loved was we had a place right close to home um, called the Onion, and they had um, a lot of burgers that were just very good. Um, as far I do like a Red Robin, that Tavern Double man ain't bad. That was one of Ace's favorite spots. Was the Red Robin? Um, I also like. I mean, Five Guys is bad. Oh yeah, yeah, it's Five Sloppy. Oh, absolutely, Five um, Guys. Yeah, yeah. Freddy's. Uh, you guys one. like Freddy's? Have you, uh, have you I haven't been yet. Oh man, that's that's like the thin, you know, kind of crispy yeah. patties there. So I was looking to take an Asher there yesterday. So he wants to go to, he's never been to a Culver's and he wants to get some fried fish, but Freddy's steak burgers look pretty good. Yes. Um, where was uh, another one? So I guess one of my favorite places too in Spokane was uh, Wolfie's Diner. 
And so it was like the thin patties. And I think that's probably my favorite kind of burger is the diner thin patty with a milkshake. Um, so of all the different fancy ones, like just a diner burger is really good. And then there was one I remember from a kid, like when we go from Wichita down here to the Ozarks, um, about halfway joint was, uh, there was a place called Gerard's. Same thing, just delicious, thin, thin uh, diner. And then in Wichita, Ty's Diner is a kind of famous one if you're ever down there. So I went, I just gave that's you like great. half a dozen. No, that's, that's, <laughs> that sounds, that sounds great. That's glorious, man. Uh, and here's the thing about burgers. You can go to, to a number of places and say, man, this is one of the best burgers I've had. And to have a long list of places that make a good, good burger. And really it's going to come down to the quality of meat that they use for another thing that I think is, is the bun. Like don't overlook mm-hmm. the bun, just a regular sesame seed bun. Isn't just going to cut it. If you want to raise the game, there was a place in Bastrop, Texas called, uh, the, 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 it was the road. Oh gosh. What was, what was that called now? I think it was the Bastrop, um, roadhouse. I think that's what it was called roadhouse. And they used, they had like a sourdough bun that had a mm-hmm. sweetness to it. And then of course it was toasted and buttered, which that should just be like, it doesn't matter that should be like like a like a car you know like you should come to expect if you're going to make a good burger toasted and buttered that 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 shouldn't be like extra on top that's amen well it keeps the bun from getting soggy right it kind of keeps the juices with the pack absolutely so do you have like a favorite burger topping like if there's a menu yeah where do you lean um i'm gonna go with uh let's get a let's get a sunny side egg on top Ooh. of that burger. Yeah, I mean, then, because then, you, really, man, you get that yolk oozing all over that burger. It t- <laughs> it takes that burger to a whole nother stratosphere. My wife's going to be gagging <laughs> when she listens to this. I'm with you. I, I, I agree 100%. But she, like, she's yeah. like, it's not breakfast. Yeah. But. No, I was going to say, it's... It doesn't look like to the look because I, I, I've done that before and it it is messy, dude. It it is truly messy. It gets all over your hands, but mm. man, it just whoo! Thank the That's Lord. Awesome. So I tend to lean in one of two directions. I either like to go like Western with a barbecue sauce and like a fried onion straws or room. So love that. Uh, but I also like the kind of California thing. If you put bacon and avocado on it. Um, I also love that. Avocado. Yeah, please. That'd be so, great. Man. But anyway, this Thursday, folks, go get a burger. Enjoy it. Snap your face. Let us know. If, whether you're in St. Joe or in Branson, let us know where we can go to try a burger. Please do. Let us know. We'll add that to our research. We will. Burger research. Well. Absolutely. There you go. Amen. That's awesome. All right. So so we had some great Sundays. We were talking before we got started on the podcast here. Um, Wyatt Park, you guys are looking at Training Camp Part 3. Yes. Intentional Faith Development. So I went back and listened to the message, just so you know. Uh, You know, what I probably should do is I'll just send you my my sermon like I did when you were here. And this way, you know, not assuming that you have time to listen to every one of my sermons. So I'll do that in the future. I like if, if you're getting slow, I hit the little forward key to just any forward 10 seconds nice. at a time. That works. Um, but you did, sh- you shared a couple of quotes that I thought were, were worthwhile up front. Um, you said one was from Adrian Enns Intentional Days Create a Life on Purpose. And then also one uh, from um, 
Covey, right? I didn't write it down. Yeah, Stephen. Yep, Stephen Covey. Yep. Stephen Covey. Uh, the key is not to prioritize your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. And so I thought just maybe first, uh, again, you made it a good point to talk about intention and priorities as a starting point for how we think about faith development. So what's the importance of intention and priorities as we think about actually growing and developing our faith? Um, I, I would say that a person without uh, intention in their faith development and their walk with Christ is like a ship uh, in the wind without a w- without a sail. Mm. So, um, it's very much like a lot of churches right now, and this has been going on for a while. Is that when new people come in the church, they've seen fit to say, "What are your next steps?" So, if a new person comes into the church, uh. You know, it would be very easy for them to come in, uh, give their life to Christ, maybe be baptized, be added to the church roles. But then, what happens? What happens next? What What is the next step step of faith development? And um, and sadly, in in a lot of my my years as a pastor, that's been more of a, of a vague thing. Um, I haven't been as ordered as that um, as other churches, as far as saying, okay, here's a one hundred one class or two hundred one class. But uh, that's really I think the importance of the message I shared on Sunday is a reminder to people that uh, our walk with Christ isn't going to be strengthened just on its own. We we've got to have um, it, we have to make it a priority to to read the scriptures, to gather with with the with the uh, saints, with the church, um, gather at uh, communion as often as possible. And, 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 and also in prayer. And I think those are, if we're looking for some ingredients for spiritual growth, things that we should make a priority in our life and be intentional about, those are probably the four, four very basics um, that the early church was devoted to. And I had used the Acts 2.42 passage um, to, to kind of lay that out a little bit. Well, but so, yeah. Are, do any of those surprise you? And sometimes it's just like, it's, it can seem so basic. But ha- have you seen churches maybe start to gravitate towards emphasizing other things, maybe even at the neglect of some of these things that really are, like you said, the most basic key ingredients to our faith development? And I guess if you were to evaluate the ministries that you've been a part of or just generally in Western Christianity, which of those do you feel like we... Uh, neglect maybe maybe a little bit probably <laughs> we neglect the time that it takes to be devoted to all of those mm-hmm. things because what we've done is we've boiled down our devotion to uh, the apostles teaching to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers we boiled that down to one largely one day a week mm-hmm. most Christians um, myself included and we think that's good enough <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it's it's a good place to start, and it is absolutely um, bedrock because we we can't go anywhere f- without that. I mean, if the, if that's not a part of our regular routine, um, then we don't have nothing to grow on top of. But that should just be the entry point right there. Like Sunday morning should just be the thing that then leads us into other opportunities. And and so one of the things that I did with this message was I ended with sharing a bunch of our. Uh, groups that meet to study the Bible and to fellowship 
uh, throughout the week and invited people to to find um, to be intentional about putting those things on their calendar uh, and to attend them and not just look to Sunday morning to fulfill um, all of all of that for them. Mm. Yeah, I'm convinced that the number one enemy to discipleship in our churches is not like some sort of cultural issue that we're facing or whatever. It's it's actually busyness. Uh, like that, yes. I'm, I'm convinced that that's the number one enemy of what is preventing percent. our people from stepping into maturity and the faith. And those yeah. other things are, are important and need to be addressed, but, but you can't if you don't take it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. And so, I mean, yeah, we, we just see it. And I, the, I guess really in serving with the young people in particular over the years, it's funny how we almost encourage them to embrace more and more and more and do and do and do, whether it's like get into college or whatever. And then we wonder why when they're adults that uh, they don't have any margin or space for spiritual matters. Yeah, yeah. We haven't given them the tools to build those habits into their life, those um, spiritual meeting with the community habits. And one of the things I, I want to be careful about in encouraging people to make these, uh, be intentional about spiritual practices is, yes, we should find time to do them personally, but we must find time also mm-hmm. to connect that back to the community, to the fellowship of the saints. There, there has to be a balance there. Um, Otherwise, it, it just won't work. If it's if it's all just Sunday morning gathering with the saints and that's it, that's not that's just not going to be make for a healthy discipleship. And if it's all just me reading my Bible uh, in the morning time for 15, 20 minutes, that's not going to be the most conducive. It needs to all come together in in a mm. kind of like you're creating a, a cake or something, mixing everything into one bowl. That's a good word because I've, I've found that like when I study together, like even when you and I would sit around and just talk about a passage together, it was like if we took 30 minutes to do that, it was like a couple hours of me just sitting by myself because there's something that multiplied that work. And I think we it can almost create more time when you do it with other people. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. Um, one of the other things you mentioned that I thought was still worthwhile to discuss was you you're, you uh, mentioned Matthew sixteen twenty four, and that just says and Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Um, and obviously, there's kind of a suffering component following Jesus into that, but that idea of denying yourself. I thought was so worthwhile and it ties into what we've already talked about as far as busyness and all that. But you just maybe elaborate, how is self-denial really a key to faith development? Yeah. I mean, that's really the, the bedrock of the invitation from Jesus to his disciples. And the funny thing, like Jesus, he, he doesn't ever like, make someone feel bad if they decide not to take up their cross. Like he's like, you know, hey, in fact, there's times where and I'm going to mention this on, on Sunday as we talk about um, risk-taking mission and service in Luke 14 when Jesus sees the large crowds gathering around him and he's like, it's time to thin the herds a little bit because most of the, a lot of those people are just following him 
for the miracles that he was handing out. And it was just kind of spectatorship. And so then Jesus then goes into that idea of, you know, if you want to be my disciple, uh, you have to be prepared for the breakdown of family, you know, make it look like you, you hate your mother and your father and your family. And then again, he reiterates the whole idea of um, taking up your cross and then goes into the parables of, of uh, building a tower, uh, making sure that you have enough to, to, to complete it. Or if you're going to war, make sure you have enough soldiers. And so it's that whole idea of counting the cost. And I, th- I, don't, I don't think we can be as intentional as Jesus wants us to be when it comes to discipleship without that initial counting the cost. And maybe it's not just an initial, but I think every day it comes down to counting the cost. Because every day there's going to be something that it's going to hopefully stretch us, get us out of our comfort zone. And in the end, we're going to find that Jesus is worth every everything that we give up, every, everything that, you know, that is a cost and... Um, you know, it, it challenges us. Jesus is worth all of that. In the early church, is you know their story is recorded about that. But yeah, I think if if we wipe away that initial um, cost, the initial you know, listen, if if you want to follow follow Jesus, these this is the fine print, and it's up front, um, and it's not going to guarantee be a guaranteed easy path every day of your life, mm-hmm. and that's okay because that's where true life is found. Yeah, but and I think that's the unique challenge of our day and culture is just that there's like this limitless possibility and access to whether it be information or opportunity or you know whatever it is. Uh, you know, where in the ancient world you got to sit at night and stare at the stars at the sky. That's what you had could could do. Um, and so their self denial was probably served up a little different. And I just I think that's the uniqueness of our age is just we're bombarded. And it can to stop, open up my Bible, to stop, pray, like could feel unproductive. It could feel like, and there's a cost. I mean, saying no to that Netflix series, I mean, saying no to that concert or whatever endless opportunities we have, um, and denying ourselves in that way, I think is just, I don't know. When you're talking about that, I go, this really is something that we struggle with, albeit in a different way. But it does take a lot of self-denial. Yeah, I'm going to lean into that in the next uh, next week's message. Uh, really lean in more into that concept of um, what, like, when we talk about risk-taking mission, like, mm. <laughs> what is that risk for us in the Western world? And what what I'm going to put front and center is our comfort zone is at risk uh, more than anything else. What, whereas there are Christians around the world who their their lives are literally at risk uh, today because they are following Jesus. And who knows, that may be, I don't know how things are going to go in history. We may face that ourselves as well as, as Westerners, but at least for right now, our risk is mainly to our comfort zone. <laughs> so so that'll, that'll be for next next week. Uh, and that's a sermon that uh, I, I'm trying to digest myself right now. So oh, It's been an effective tact of, of the enemy, that's for sure. Uh, any other thoughts you want to share from Sunday, or should I? You know, move I into yeah. Here? Let's go ahead and in, into Acts. I I'm really really enjoy. I've been reading through Acts uh, for my morning devotion, and I'm just I'm loving it, man. I I just I would encourage anyone to just open up your Bible and just start reading through Acts and underline. It, there's just so much gold. So let's let's kind of move into that. Sure. So uh, we, again, we've been kind of working through an Acts here in Branson. Um, they started that uh, way back in the 
summary of what I got here, and uh, they're in Acts 14, and we're kind of going to just get into the uh, Jerusalem Council and then next week, and then we're going to pivot next. But uh, David Parrish, uh, who is uh, a part of what our treasurer and a deacon here at the church, um, preached, and he's, I, he's, he's fun to listen to. He's like pretty comedic. Um, and, but he's a history professor at the College of the Ozarks, and uh, he really kind of set the framework for this as uh, when we open this passage, what we see is Paul and Barnabas are kind of following that pattern of going to the synagogues, uh, preaching to the Jews there. And what we find in this passage, as in others, is that there's real resistance to the gospel message. Um, and they use even stir up trouble amongst the Gentiles. So they're kind of driven out and they got to uh, move on to another area. And so this really is one of the first places where it's like the focus in its entirety becomes on uh, a pagan culture. And he also wanted to raise the issue that we too, we don't often think of that we live in a pagan society, but it is. Um, and it might be served up a little different. We might not have idols or statues or carvings all around. Um, but we certainly serve the gods of this age, uh, whether it be power, pleasure, money, sex, whatever it is. Um, and what I love, he shared this, this quote from Carl Truman. He said, the task of the Christian is not to whine about the moment in which he or she lives, but to understand its problems and respond appropriately to them. Um, and that, that was like a punch in the heart <laughs> when he shared that one. Uh, but really what he does in Acts 14 is just unpack how did Polyphonus, as they went into the pagan world, interact with the people. And the first thing he pointed out was kind of in verses 8 through 13. Uh, they, they heal a lame man, and he just talked about this as an act of mercy. And so and this was a miraculous healing. Uh, but he raised the issue of, look, we get to be involved. And if God uses us to do something miraculous, awesome. But we can still, in the same way, see people who need help, have compassion, and participate in this kind of work. And so one of the first things they did was go in and just meet the needs of the community through acts of mercy. Um, and in the story, and we'll talk a little bit about this later, this leads to the crowds actually thinking that they're gods um, and trying to like worship them. Yeah. Um, and so that moves him into his second point was a spoken proclamation. And he, he says, look, we're just men like you, uh, but we serve a God that's completely unique. So he really does talk about how Yahweh is the creator of the heavens and earth and is maybe different from the gods that they're aware of or the gods that they worship. And so they, they proclaim, uh, again, the gospel message of who Jesus is, but also show how the God of the Bible is unique or different from the culture in which uh, the pagans are. So I thought that was an excellent point. Um, eventually those Jews show up um, and get them stoned. Um, nice. And so Paul's <laughs> left for dead. And but it's funny, he gets up, he keeps going, he goes back to the church and says, Hey, by the way, this is what Paul and Jesus look like. It's not even like, oh man, that stinks. I hope it will be different. He just tells them it's like, this is what we're in for. And so his point was the, the willingness to endure suffering well, uh, to not let that, like you said, our comfort become the thing that controls us to, to push into that um, was something that was key to. Uh, the witness of the pagan world. And then finally, it just talks about how they go back and what they do is not keep preaching to the masses uh, all the time, every time, but they actually go through 
people that respond to the gospel. They find elders who could lead their churches and they establish through prayer and fasting the selection of these leaders and these communities that they've developed um, and they basically plant churches. So um, that, those were just the things that he pointed out as, uh, as they went into the pagan world, what did they emphasize? And so I thought, again, that's not the only things I'm sure we could do, but it was, it was, I thought they were, it was a helpful list. And how have you found that maybe each of these strategies helpful as, if, as you've ministered in pagan world? I've heard, heard it said that uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think that kind of goes to the first two points of Paul and Barnabas going in, showing acts of mercy, and then and so that and that precedes then the spoken word. And so as a, as pastors, ministry leaders, that's a big part of, you know, as as you're getting to know your community, you know, you're building a rapport with people. Uh, and, and so that when you get up and you preach and, and you share a hard word, a word that um, might make people, you know, either offended or whatever, or maybe cause them to, to rethink things or whatever it is, that if they learn to trust you and, and see that you're a person who you're not just coming in just to, to speak and, and that's your primary thing, um, they're, they're going to respond to the, to the spoken proclamation um, a little more favorably, I think, with uh, seeing those acts of mercy in whatever way we might do those. Um, so I think that's that's a good one-two punch there. And it's funny because the uh, <laughs> the apostles in Jerusalem, before Peter's spoken words, before he you know would stand up and speak to the crowds, it would usually follow some sort of healing or some sort of miraculous thing that would happen. And of course the Jewish authorities didn't think that they were gods because of it. Uh, and you know, instead they thought they were heretics and blasphemers and everything else. But so it's interesting to see the, the, the different um, responses to them. But as far as enduring suffering, of course that, that just goes along with the, with the territory when, when dealing with, with people um, and not just people in the church, but people outside of the church and then dealing with the attacks of Satan as well. That's probably a part of it, that anytime someone commits themselves to being a disciple of Jesus and living that out faithfully in their calling, there's going to be resistance from, from, the, from the adversary, from the Satan. Um, and then, uh, yeah, building communities of faith. It's almost like the, the building of the commun- community of faith is like the, the goal. It's the fruit that we are, we are seeking but you know, if you're looking for a little recipe here, then um, you you could see how acts of mercy, being with the people, um, speaking uh, God's word, reading God's word together, and going through suffering together, um, that's a good recipe there for um, for seeing fruit and, and a growing <laughs> growing church and congregation. Well, it's like you said earlier; it, it, it's the key to keeping those things happening. If I try to white knuckle and do it on my own the likelihood that i will continue to again put myself out there for the needs of others um to continue to proclaim things that the world might not want to hear um and to endure again hardship when it comes my way is less likely than I'm doing it on my own and it, yeah it's interesting. i mean you as you're talking uh that whole willingness to for suffering too, it comes out of first the humility not to accept the praise and accolades that the world was willing to give. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Because I, I would have been real tempted to just like be treated like a god. That wouldn't be bad. 
Uh, <laughs> no kidding. Oh, <laughs> uh, but of course, I, was it the? Who is it that? God drops somebody dead from that accident. Yeah, Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> well, yeah, so that, when they go and deny themselves, but I thought somebody like refuses to point towards God for something. Oh, um, I have to go back. I know. I was, yeah, I'm not sure which one that is. Um, that is. But anyway, I, so yeah, I mean, probably factor there. But there's also the humility to go. This isn't about me. This isn't about exalting God. Um, is one of the one of those first steps, and I mean, I think that's in the in the day of our celebrity pastor, God, what a temptation that is! Oh yeah, uh, yeah, for sure, hundred I mean, percent, yeah, absolutely. I know we're not as good at our craft as maybe some of the guys who are like are can can make yeah. the seven figures and fly <laughs> on jets, but I yeah, I'm in Branson now, so like I'm around a few of, uh, of those down here. Okay, nice. <laughs> But to, to yeah, just to deny deny the benefits that can come from a move of God in order to exalt them not ourselves is is if you're not willing to do that, you'll never be willing to suffer. Yeah, yeah, you're right, absolutely, and and I think we discount how much growth happens through suffering um, and through being uncomfortable, and so you know, I. I guess sometimes I, I lean too much on the prepare to suffer, prepare to suffer. I mean, people ought to know that in the midst of, of a tough road of following Jesus, there's joy unspeakable and it's full of glory. I mean, there is, um, there is absolutely heavenly bliss to experience this side of eternity in, in the Holy Spirit and in the fellowship of the saints. And so I want people, I don't want people just to, to think, well, I shouldn't experience any joy or happiness in this life. Um, but to understand that really true joy is going to come through going through these hardships and, and experiencing the faithfulness of God through them all. Um, you know, well, it's interesting to call, like he'll use the runner imagery, um, and the imagery sometimes uh, to talk about this metaphor. And I think about that after a good workout, it wasn't always fun when I was doing it, but <laughs> right. even the sore muscles, you're like, I did something. Yeah. <laughs> like I can feel myself getting healthier. I think, like you said, in the same way, there's something about that refiner's fire that when you come out of it, even though it wasn't always the most pleasant experience, you, you there is this sense of man, I I'm growing. Yeah, and that's yeah, a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's like you have the time, you have like the heating period. And, but then after that, you have to have the cooling period as well because it's it's after that that metal is basically almost liquid that they remove it from the fire and it's plunged into cold water and then it has time to cool and solidify. And so it's like the seasons of life, uh, mm. like the seasons of the year. <laughs> Are you guys baking down there in uh, in Branson right now? What's the temperature like down there? Oh, the last few days have been just yeah. awful. Yeah. <laughs> it's like someone's just going like this the whole day. <sighs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Like breathing in my face. This morning, it's, I mean, it's still super humid today, but it was like, we're, yesterday was the peak. And, <sighs> and so Saturday is going to be like mid 80s. And so imagine the joy on Saturday. People are going to be getting out. And, and so it's like, maybe that's one way we could look at it. It's like there's periods of going through the fire, going through trial, but then there's going to be a cooling period on the other side of it. 
and uh, enjoy the cooling period while it lasts. Enjoy God's presence through the fire and through the through through the rest. And like I said, he, Jesus is worth it all, and that's the, and thankfully we've got the scriptures that record the story of these Christians who would say it's worth it. It is a thousand percent worth it. Amen. Dude, love it. So I mean. That's what I got for today, man. You got any final thoughts man. you want to share with the listeners? Well, um, I would just invite folks to uh, be intentional about your faith, whether you are here in St. Joe or Branson. Uh, connect with your church family. Uh, certainly uh, make Sunday morning a priority, but then uh, find other ways that you can grow in your faith and build community with Christians around you. At the end of the day, uh, as pastors and church leaders— we can't force intention upon anybody, and so that's we, we just pray that the Holy Spirit would do that work. Um, as he's d- working in, in my life, and I trust he's working in your life, that he's going to duplicate that in others and create a deeper hunger for uh, all of us to, um, to know Christ more today and let him be shaped and formed uh, in us. So um, I love it. I'm going to go way less spiritual and just say, <laughs> I want pictures of burgers. You want pictures of what? This is a competition to our listeners. Someone send us the most epic burger you had this week, and oh. we will highlight. Okay. We'll do that. Awesome Let's do that. Please do. that. That Engage with us in that. Well, Let well, us well. know what that burger is that you uh, would like to have on Thursday for National Burger Day. Bam. Awesome. Well, folks, thanks for joining us, and beware of those bears. Mm, Grace and peace out.